Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This season is all about intentional comfort, and we'll be taking a look at the crossroads of the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more comfort and joy to your everyday. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 328 of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the podcast, I'm really excited to be sharing with you the top 10 most downloaded and most beloved episodes of season seven, which of course was all about intentional comfort. Before we jump into the countdown itself, I want to give you all a warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in to Jumpstart Your Joy. Of course, I'm in my eighth year of podcasting here, and I could not be more excited to be sharing these top 10 episodes with you for a season that's been really deeply meaningful to me. It's been so fun to look at the theme of intentional comfort because, of course, that's all about how we find more time to care for ourselves, more time to delight in things, and more time just to spend in comfort and ease. The last two and a half years have been a little bit much for a lot of us. (laughs) And I feel like, you know, it's time to intentionally make time for things that feel easier for each of us. So that's what this whole season was all about. If you are new to the show, you can find the 327 past episodes over at the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for my newsletter and you can also purchase my own book, which is called Jumpstart Your Joy, Heart-Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle. It came out last year and I think you'll love it. You can purchase it there on the book tab at Jumpstart Your Joy. So let's dive right on in to this week's episode. So first up is a really delightful conversation that I had with author Emma Lowy in her book. It's called Return to Nature, the new science of how natural landscapes restore us. I will talk about it more next week as well, where I'm going to talk about the impact of some of the conversations that I had over the last year and kind of a wrap up of where I got to with intentional comfort. This book is super interesting because Emma talks about how there are different kinds of landscapes and how humans kind of resonate with them and how they bring us more joy and comfort. If you think about it, you probably do have a favorite place to visit. Maybe it's the ocean or it's the hills or it's a river, but your heart is drawn to it. One of the main sort of theories as to why getting out in nature is so restorative for us mentally has to do with this idea that Nature presents a certain like set of factors that can just be very cognitively restorative. And one of them is like the sense of being away. So stepping outside of your everyday routine and feeling like you're in a new place, which is interesting. And But I think about it and I also think about they've done research to correlate living close to the coast with like decreased rates of depression. They've done this research in the UK. So it does seem like even people who like live on the beach, it's still very, very beneficial to them. It's not something that they've grown immune to, so to speak. So the forest is super fascinating. You know, this is a topic of a lot of research and coming out of Japan specifically. And a lot of it is actually spearheaded by like MDs, medical doctors. So there's a fair amount of research to actually show like the physiological effects of forests versus, you know, the cognitive. So one of the most fascinating I thought was, you know, researchers in Japan found that after taking a three-day excursion into a forest environment, people returned with higher, like 50% uh, more activity in their NK cells, which is white blood cell that is like a first line of defense against foreign intruders. So 
I was really, you know, amazed that it could have that sort of effect on people. And it also, after like a follow-up study, 30 days later, they still had higher NK levels than when they had first set out, which I thought was fascinating. The next one was a solo cast, which is what I call the shows that I do all on my own without a guest. And the title of this episode was Five Easy Mindfulness Tips to Help You Every Day. I love talking about mindfulness. So many of us have heard about it. And I think it's become one of those buzzwords in society. So it might be something you know you've heard, but maybe you don't know that much about. I'll share five of the tips right now. The first step is to notice your emotions. We often go through our days kind of not aware of even what our thoughts are doing and what we are feeling about something. And so the first step in mindfulness is noticing your emotions. And the next step that is really helpful is taking a breath. It might seem really simple, and that's why it's so portable. But if you notice that you're feeling kind of stressed and those shoulders are getting up here, breathe in, breathe out, and smile, which is what Master Thich Han recommends. And I'll link to his book in the show notes. It is a really good read. It's also, as we just heard from Emma Lowy, important to spend some time in nature. That is a mindful choice that you can make every day, maybe by going on a walk or doing something else. The fourth one that I talk about is meditating or using a guided meditation. And the fifth is spending time in a labyrinth. I'm a certified labyrinth facilitator. And a labyrinth is a walking meditation that you can do that can really help you sort through your thoughts. So that is five easy mindfulness tips to help you every day. The next one that I want to talk about is a personal friend of mine and a brand new author, Heather Hall. And she wrote this amazing book, Step Up and Stand Out, 30 Tips for Aspiring Introverted Leaders. Now, you might not think that someone that has a YouTube show and has been doing audio podcasting for a really long time is an introvert. But I am. I get my energy from quiet, from solitude, from being inside. And sometimes being an extrovert or being in extroverted spaces seems like it comes naturally for me, but it is not always easy. And I really loved Heather's book. She wrote all about, if you're an introvert, how to find your way in a corporate setting. Uh, Because I think there's a lot of things that are super challenging, especially if you don't feel like you're really valued in that culture. Especially in our country, the U.S., the corporate environment was made by extroverts for extroverts. So they're actually thinking you're going to be on, revved up, ready to go, go, go all the time. That's why they schedule these meetings back to back. They don't need time in between to process or regroup or get grounded. The subtitle I thought about using was without straying too far from your comfort zone, because that's part of the trick, right? You've you've got to practice little steps, little steps, little steps, and then your comfort zone gets a little bit bigger and bigger. And really for me, the, the book came out of the lessons that I learned in my years through corporate, struggling to meet expectations and literally burning myself out, burning that candle at both ends, not just for pressure from the work environment, but also it was my escape from my personal environment, spending all that time and all that energy and and learning the hard way how to step back and manage it. That that chapter that about putting your hands in your pants pocket, that was one of those little aha moments that kind of rocked my world. Because until then, every time somebody walked up to me with a question or a problem, I put my hand out to take it. It was wearing me down. I had to learn 
to find those little moments where I could breathe and I could think about things before I dove in and performed. Thank you so much for being on, Heather, and for writing this amazing book. I will link up to it in the show notes. And um, I encourage you to go get it if you're an introvert. It really, it does tie into intentional comfort. How can you feel more comfortable in your own skin when kind of extroverts are maybe more valued or have a louder voice in a room? And so the introvert often feels like they step back and maybe they aren't heard. But Heather unlocks a lot of that for you. The next one in my list oh, was a third time returnee. And you may know him from the band Cowboy Mouth. Yes, that's right. It's the lead singer, Fred LeBlanc. I just love Fred's energy because he is <laughs> he's so much fun. And I love that he is such a deep thinker. Every time that I've had him come on, he talks about spirituality and mindfulness and how to get into the zone. And so one of the favorite things that we talked about was how during the pandemic, when he wasn't able to play with his band in live settings, which is one of the things he loves most, he was really moved at how some people were reaching out to him to share what his work had meant to them, even though they weren't still performing. I stopped playing music for like a year. Actually, let's see. Actually, 14 months. And I hadn't, I hadn't not played music professionally that long since 1981. Wow. And um, it was something. It was, I mean, everybody suffered. Everybody remembers what it was like. It wasn't that long ago. It was just like a few weeks ago. It gave me a lot of time to reflect. It gave me some time to rest. And I told everybody I, was, I needed about a month's worth of sleep for about 20 years. So <laughs> finally mm -hmm. got it. Yeah. I got married literally the week before lockdown. So, you know, me and my wife, you know, we did what hon uh, honeymooners do. <laughs> For a, long, for a long time, so, which was fine. And I was very fortunate in that people would send me emails or something like that saying what this song or that show had meant to them and things like that. And just in the constant progress of moving forward, you never really get a chance to look back. And the way people let me know how much the band and songs and things like that had done for them or enabled them to, to bring joy to their lives was really eye-opening because it's something I never really considered something yeah. that was uh, it was something that was presented to me and maybe the last 25 years hasn't been a waste of time after all <laughs> you know? thanks Fred the thing that is interesting to me about this is it ties into this mindfulness and this comfort we often are moving so fast that we don't really take the time to look back and take stock on the things that have happened in our lives. And so I thought this was a beautiful reminder that Fred was getting from his fans about the impact that he had made on their lives. It's also really important to not get too fixated on how the right now feels when things are hard. And that's another piece of the comfort is how can you find those things that feel easier and that remind you there are good things still, even when things are really hard. That ties into the next episode that you guys loved. And I have to give a huge shout out to Jen Oglesby. Jen is a life coach and we just get along so well. Much of her message is also about joy and how you can embrace joy. And I wanted to have Jen on for a couple of reasons. The first is that the whole idea of intentional comfort came about when the summer of 21, we had a three-part series on Instagram Live called What the Hell Happened? <laughs> and we were looking back over the past year and trying to kind of parse out 
what in the world happened over the pandemic from a mental health perspective. And we arrived at this idea of intentional comfort being so important as we moved forward. And so thank you to Jen for helping kind of cultivate this idea. And thank you for her to saying yes to coming back once the whole season was underway. Jen, very sadly, lost her sister to brain cancer in December of 21. And she joined me to talk about how she still finds joy and comfort even in the times of deep, deep sorrow and grief. What does living with uncertainty look like for you in the last couple of years? It has a lot of layers for me. So I've been living the uncertainty that we've all been living with the pandemic. And that uncertainty is what pushed me to do things like quit my job and start a business because I was just like, well, this all looks like a big mess. Now seems like a good time, as good time as any to do these things. That level of uncertainty pushed me closer to the things that were calling to me or that felt most important to me. My family definitely became one of those families that just got so squeezed by the pandemic and two full-time jobs and having kids at home that something had to give. And I know a lot of people were in that position, but my job was like stressing me out so much. It was actually making me sick. And so it became pretty clear like what needed to go. But the other layer of uncertainty that I have been living with for the last couple of years relates to my sister. So she, she's my only sibling and she was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2016 and ended up cancer-free until the summer of 2020. Uh, we found out that her cancer had come back. And her, she had a very rare form of cancer with a very unclear prognosis. And so at that time, it was like, you could have a year or two or you could have decades. That was really all we knew. Um, and so we were very much living in this time of one MRI to the next and seeing what we see. And so that was definitely an a whole nother layer of uncertainty on top of uncertainty, on top of not being able to see her as much as I wanted to because we of COVID and travel. And the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, bring her an illness. And then things progressed pretty quickly in the summer of 2021 and into the fall. And she um, passed away in December. And so for me, you know, everyone's relationship with their siblings is different. I say I have like four loves of my life, my husband, my two kids, and my sister. My sister is just my insides. And for me, that was an unthinkable loss. And anyone who's lost someone can tell you that knowing that it's coming doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make it any less unthinkable. There was a lot of uncertainty about how to support her from three states away. There was a lot of uncertainty about where things were headed. There was a lot of uncertainty of poor communication with her doctors, missed information, mixed information, crossed wires. Nobody could tell us what the hell was going on. And I knew that she was dying and I could not get a doctor to just say that to me. And so there was a lot of questioning myself, like, this is what I see to be certain, but the quote unquote experts are, won't just say that to me. So there was sitting with that too. And then of course, like losing her. I mean, this is someone that I thought was going to be in my life for the next 50 years. I thought we were going to be together till the end and we would retire and we'd like live next door to each other. And then our husbands would die and then we'd move in together and then we'd like be a bedroom away from each other. And then we would magically die like on the same day that this was how it needed to go in my head in order for any of this to be okay. And that's all not to be. And so for me, it's really been a process of just intense surrender, really just knowing that there are things that, that there is no certainty. And it, it just opens up the whole box of like, all of life is uncertain. And, you know, I'm in the, yeah. this phase now where it's like, 
all these questions about mortality. And, you know, I just have a pile of books on my nightstand about death, dying and grief. I'm a really good time right now. And, but yeah, I, I had to just sit with this place of not just loss, but like, I felt the floor come out from under me and all the things that brought me comfort and joy did not anymore. It was like it all went dormant and all went dark. And as someone who has hitched her wagon on joy, not only personally, but professionally, that was very disconcerting for sure. And I couldn't really do anything except just let it be. Jen, thank you so much for sharing your journey. I know that the conversation wasn't easy and yet I also am, I'm so honored that you shared it with us here and that you're living your life in a way that is showing an example of what grief can look like and how people can hold space for both grief and joy when they're going through a really hard time. Next up was one of the really early episodes of season seven, and it was with someone who had been on before. Her name is Stacia Savasic, and you might know her from Stacia's Style School, or she also has a TED Talk talking about how she dresses for inside-out congruency. And what that means is that you're choosing clothes that allow you to feel the way you want to feel. I loved having Stacia on because she talked in January about how you can wear your word for the year. So many of us pick these words of the year, you know, maybe it's hope or dream or whatever. And one of the things that she's bringing about is this idea of how you can also dress to feel that way too. What usually happens is that people pick a word of the year because this is wicked funny to me. And then in January 27th, I'm like, what's your word? And they're like, I don't remember. By the end of January, people have already forgotten their word. So what the hell, why pick a word? So for me, what I do, usually at the end of a year, at the start of the year, like that transition time, I wear my word. I figure out what color my word is. What color is my word? Feel like? What's the texture? What's the silhouette? What are the combinations that I'm going to put together? What kind of earrings do I want to wear that are going to connect me to that feeling? So I intensively go into it to be like, I want to know what it looks like, what it feels like, because I want to connect it every day so I don't forget what it is. Because what I always say is my word is my work right? It's not just this fantastical little thing that I do. This is the thing that it's going to get my teeth dirty and my finger dirt under my fingernails all year long, right? And so I do this. I just was in Joshua Tree. I live in Vermont. I flew out to Joshua Tree because I was like, that's what my my next word is. It it lives in Joshua Tree. (laughs) And so I went out, got a photographer. We went out to New York, to Joshua Tree, and I did a photo shoot there. And I awkwardly moved my body. Like I felt like I was Elaine dancing in the Seinfeld. Do you remember with the thumbs? Yes. That was oh my me. goodness. Like, I need to know what my word feels like. And I want to capture it in a photograph, like in a series of photographs, because mm. I want to plaster it. I want it on my phone. I want it on my screensaver. I want to post a picture of it so that I can fully, because I got to know what it feels like inside my body. How do I move my body to feel my word. So I just did a photo shoot. I know like my word for 2022 is light pink, burnt orange, white, and mustard yellow. Those are my colors right now. So then when I go shopping, I just go pink, mustard, orange, white. That's what I shop for. I bring in two or three new things 
add them to my small closet that I have already. And all of a sudden, my entire closet now matches my word. I didn't buy a new wardrobe. That's wasteful. I'm not going to do that. But if I buy a pink scarf, I can wear that with everything and I have an automatic connection to my scarf. So that's Mm -hmm. my scarf that's representative of my word. So every time I grab it, I'm grabbing my word. I'm wrapping it around me. When I put on that jacket, I'm putting that jacket around my shoulders. I'm putting my word around my shoulders so that I wear it and I carry it with me the whole year because I intend to live my life fully and I'm going to step into the growth opportunities when they arise, but I have to remember. And so I make it so I don't forget. So that's what wow is all about is really like embodying your word and keeping it super close so that you can stay committed to it for the whole year. And then you just can't even believe what happens when you do that. (laughs) Your life changes. Thank you so much for joining me, Stacia. So the next two that we're going to the next two that we're going to be talking about are both solo casts. And it's always so fascinating to me, especially because, you know, I think as podcasters, we'll step into that role for just a second. We tend to think that interviews are the ones that always outpace other things because, you know, we have a guest sharing it, et cetera. And one of the things that I tell people when I mentor them to start their own podcast is just you wait. Lots of times your audience is really interested to learn what you have to say about a topic. And so the first one was me talking about 10 things that will inspire more passion and joy in your work and life. And this episode came out of that place of we're hearing more and more about people who are quietly quitting. And I think that that comes from, you know, one of the base points might be that so many of us are feeling discouraged and downtrodden. And as Eileen Smith actually season six talked about we've been in a trauma vortex for a couple of years at this point and I think we're burnt out and so as I look at that I wanted to share some ways that you all could find more passion and more joy in your work and life I did lead off with two key ideas that you might want to try before you even jump into the top 10 let's talk about them for just a second and then I'll link up to the full episode and show notes if you want to learn about the other 10. The first topic that I really found helpful when I did it earlier in this year was revisiting my values. Now, a lot of us have gone through these practices. Maybe it's at a work, you know, fun day or an all hands meeting. But so many of us have tried to define our values. And I encourage you to go check out the the exercise that's online, and it's by Brene Brown. And I'll link to that as well. I've, of course, done a values exercise in the past. And of course, you know, it feels like kind of a you're going through the motions. Maybe you are just kind of trying to get it done. But I think if you spend some time and actually go through those things that really resonate with you and that you really want to put front and center for your life, it can make a huge difference and it it can reinvigorate you about your work. I decided when I did this values exercise most recently that my three key values, and these play both in my personal life and in my business, are magic, which you might be surprised it's not joy, but I'm going to use a different word for that. I feel like joy ties into magic really tightly and it is that delight factor that's beyond feeling the joy, but like experiencing the joy. So I picked magic for that. 
Integrity is my second one, which means I'm doing and saying things that match. And then expertise. This is me stepping into owning that I've been a podcaster for eight years. Like there's a level of expertise when you get to do things. And sometimes it can be super vulnerable to step into those spaces. So that's why I assigned that word for myself. And then the other one that I think is really helpful, and you can do this whether you are working you know, at a company or you own your own business, it's take a look at the pros and cons of what you have liked and don't like about past or current jobs or past or current business. I think if you list those out side by side and get really honest with yourself about what you love, because there's going to be something you like, maybe it's the flexibility, maybe it's that you can work from home sometimes, you know, maybe it's that nobody's looking over your shoulder about specific tasks. There's going to be something even in difficult jobs that you probably have enjoyed. If you can't find it in this current one, think about past jobs that you've really enjoyed and what were the benefits to you for that job? Because I think you know what kinds of things you love. And then also look at the cons. You know, there's going to be good and bad in every job. Look at those. And then if you are looking to make a change, you know what you're looking for in that next job description. It has this, but not that. So that is the two ways to define your passion. And you can find the other 10 ways to bring more passion and joy into your life in the show notes. Because I think many of us are looking for work that is deeply meaningful. And maybe that's what this big quiet quitting shift is all about, is that we want to feel like we're doing something that matters. And I think if you don't know what the target is for what you are looking for in this life and what matters most to you, it's going to be hard to hit that when you go to look for something new. Or maybe you can refactor the job that you currently have to play to some of the things that align with your values and align with what you love. And there's comfort in that. That's intentionally making a path. That's lifestyle design. That's you making a mindful, intentional choice to go towards something that plays to your strengths. And that probably feels better than all of the bad things or the things that don't align with your values. So that's why that one fits with intentional comfort. The next one that hit the chart <laughs> is my episode on finding your heart's second home. The idea of your heart's second home is that there are places that just make your heart sing when you visit them. And again, this one ties back into that Emma Lowy interview. Many of them might be places of beauty and places that you find in nature. But I think many of us have that sense of there is a place that my heart just feels at home. And so in this episode, I talk about how you can find and define them and then the importance of visiting those places, whether you can do it physically, maybe now that things are opening up a little bit more, you can, or you know what? You can also just do it as a mental little coffee break, if you will, where you visit that place in your mind instead of physically visiting it. So that was number eight. The next one we're going to talk about is William J. Peters, and he wrote the book At Heaven's Door. He is also the founder of the Shared Crossing Project, which is out of Santa Barbara, California. And oh my goodness, we talked about shared death experiences and near-death experiences. Now, you might wonder, like, what? What does this have to do with intentional comfort, Jenkins? Which is what I call myself <laughs> in my head. Um, and it has to do with comfort because when we start to talk about what is a shared death experience, it is when someone who is living in some way experiences or participates or 
has a visitation from someone who is passing away. And it's usually a very benevolent and loving and caring event where maybe you feel that they've come to visit you. Maybe you're there and you even see some visions in the room. But the reason this ties into intentional comfort is what he has found in his research that is also in his book is that when people have a shared death experience, they are more likely to have a very favorable or less frightening outlook towards their own death, which let's face it, that's one of the only things that we can all count on uh, is that we will die someday. And so I think becoming comfortable with our own humanity and the in inevitability of our own death is important. And I think having had a shared death experience myself with my grandmother when I was 10, it has given me a greater sense of calm and knowing as I go through life. The most important thing about a shared death experience is that we're getting a glimpse as loved ones, caregivers, or bystanders, we're getting a glimpse into this journey. That's the dominant motif, the journey from this human life to what lies beyond. And the themes in terms of characteristics or qualities is highly energetic. There's something about it that pulls you into a different state or experience of sensations within yourself. And the other piece of this would be that there's good sublime feelings. So feelings of love or euphoria, joy would work too. But if you look at the primary characteristic of the shared death experience from our research, 51% of our interviewed experiencers report seeing the dying in some form. 16% report seeing an elevated being of some type that's there essentially to greet the dying, the transitioning individual. 13% report seeing other deceased relatives or friends. One of the big breakthroughs of our research in this is that two-thirds, about 64% of all of our interviewees will report a remote shared death experience, not a bedside. So one th about roughly one third is a bedside and two thirds are remote. Now this changes everything because you asked a question about, well, was this a vision or a visitation? Well, no, a post-death dream or a post-death vision or visitation, which we also track in our research, is very different because they're coming in and that type of visitation, the person, the deceased that appears, usually appears very stable, very, they're just there and they're coming to you and they're coming with a specific message. Mm -hmm. And then when it's delivered, they disappear. Now in a remote or even bedside, but in a remote SDE, what you'll notice is that you get a sense that they're coming to visit you to tell you, Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. And then you actually will get a sense that they're departing. You will actually feel the journey in them. You'll actually, one of the, we'll go a little bit deep. I love this topic. <laughs> yeah, this is a good one. I like it too. Yeah, Thank you. It's like this, your deceased loved one comes in, drops right in on you, stops for a second, gives you a, a sacred communication it's no surprise that this book also became a bestseller on Amazon. So huge congratulations to William J. Peters. And thank you so much for joining me. Now, this last one, oh, so much fun. And uh, the number one most downloaded and most loved episode of season seven was with Scott Leftwich. We talked about all things 80s. And this was such a fun 
conversation to have. So Scott owns the largest privately owned vintage arcade east of the Mississippi. And he has, I think, over 200 different arcade games there in his, it's a part of his home. He also owns an Airbnb that's all 80s themed, and he's in a band. And it was so much fun to talk to him. I first saw him interviewed by Adam the Woo, and I knew I wanted to talk to Scott because he's really leaning into this passion project of his. You know, he has another day job. And so he is doing this other work on the side. And I felt like it tied in with intentional comfort because he gets to see the absolute and utter joy that people experience in arcade, the sights, the sounds, and even the smells. He's doing that and it's a mindful choice. He's deciding to fix up old games. He's deciding to bring more of this into his life. And I applaud this. I love this. It's so similar to my own story. Sometimes I will walk down into my basement and just take a deep breath because I can smell that smell. They have this smell about them and it's a good smell. But I've been collecting and restoring arcade games uh, for 26 years. From 1996 to 2006, nobody wanted this stuff. It was junk. I kind of slowly, you know, taught myself to work on them. And I have a couple of friends that help um, out when they can. And, you know, it just became uh, a fascination with bringing these games back to life that had been dead for many years. That was a fun thing to do. But, you know, now uh, it's become a huge nostalgic thing. Those games inspired a generation of people, and now those people want to share that with their kids. And teenagers love it. We have lots of teenage regulars that come here. They cannot get enough. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just a cycle of joy. And, and I'm still learning things constantly because there's so many manufacturers and, you know, I have nine games here in which there are less than 10 of known to exist in the world. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people don't know about. And some of it can be rough on me physically and maybe mentally too, but it's always worth it when, you know, say a 50 year old man walks through the door and he's 12, boom, just like that. He looks around and you can see that happen in their eyes, you know, that smile comes upon their face and they just, they're just in heaven. They're seeing and hearing things they've not seen and heard in 35 years-ish. And we've even had instances where people have come in the door and started crying uh, because it's attached to a yeah. good memory. So mm -hmm. fun stuff. I will link up to the full interview with Scott and I just want to thank him for being on the show. So that is the top 10 most downloaded episodes here on season seven on Jumpstart Your Joy. And I'm so excited to have had all these people on. Thank you all for tuning in each week and for listening and for delighting in these conversations with me. It's so fun to be able to do this show. And I'm really excited about season eight where I'm gonna be going back to just old fashioned joy. What do people take a joy in? What do they delight in? And of course, we'll talk about the inspiration, attention, action that you can take to also bring that kind of joy into your own life. If you want to get a link to all of these past episodes and the books that I've talked about and you want to listen in or watch some of the conversations that I've mentioned here of these top 10, you can find a link in the show notes and it will link you right on over to all of these interviews so you can tune in. 
Or if you want to find out more about me or Jumpstart Your Joy, just head on over to the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com, and that's where you will find 327 past episodes. Thank you guys so much for this amazing run of season seven. And so next week on the show, I'm really excited to be doing more of my reflections about some of the impact that talking about intentional comfort had on me for the past year and some really fun insights. And then another book that I've started reading that really ties in nicely. And I cannot wait to share that with you. I hope you'll come on back next week for that episode. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy. Thank you.